during the millennium. So today I want to discuss it, since this is the last day of the feast itself, a little more. It may take me a while to get there. Uh, this may be a devious course, but we will wind up there before we get done today. Let's begin, though, in Psalm 83. As you turn there, I'll comment that I was a little boy in the church, age seven, eight, nine, when my parents began listening to XLO and XEG, uh, straining at the radio to be able to hear it as it faded in and out of, of Mexico. And during those years, we talked about the difficulties that this nation would soon face. We talked about plagues of animals. We talked about... Uh, well, we didn't talk too much about nuclear then. There wasn't too much of it around, but they did have the atomic bomb at least. I mean, we're, we're talking a long time ago, <laughs> uh, I suddenly realized. Uh, but uh, we discussed the things that would occur to the nations of Israel before the millennium could come, but it was always held out to me. I would go to church services. <clears throat> well, we didn't have church weekly church services then at all, we were 500 miles from Big Sandy, so there was no way we could go to uh, weekly Sabbath services. But at the feast, they talked a great deal about the millennium. They talked about Isaiah 11 and the child lying down uh, with the playing with the snakes and and the uh, lion and the lamb laying down together and everything. And at age, age 8, 9, 10, 11, I thought they were talking about me playing with snakes. My cousin and I even had ourselves a little zoo, uh, and we caught us a rattlesnake, and uh, we played with him. But I'll tell you this, we played pretty carefully. <laughs> we didn't bring him in the house like this, because it wasn't the millennium yet, was it? <clears throat> but I thought I would be there. My parents told me that I would get to do those things, and here I am an old man. It's hard to realize. And I, I grew up thinking I would never be married and have children, and now I'm a grandfather. I told my kids as they were growing up, they could play with snakes in the millennium, <laughs> if that's what they wanted to do. Uh, my daughter didn't seem too impressed by that, but the boys thought it would be a neat idea. And here we are. And maybe you're telling your kids, however size they may be, they will get to play with snakes in the millennium. And uh, when is this going to happen? Well, here in Psalm 83, it says, Keep not you silence, O God. Hold not your peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, your enemies make a tumult, and they that hate you have lifted up the head. They've taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted against your hidden ones. They have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation or a people, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. We're, we've been concentrating a great deal in the last couple of years on how these scriptures all apply to the church, and certainly God's hidden ones, those that he has reserved for himself, are involved. But the, is, the uh, identity of Israel basically has been hid from the whole world. So I'm going to speak today more in a national sense than I am to the church itself. Uh, we have to sort of switch back and forth here since these prophecies often are dual and apply first to the church, then to the nation. But 
Let's speak mostly in terms of the nation today because we're talking about a national blessing when the millennium gets here. And I want to talk about the national circumstance before that occurs. What's going to happen not just to the church, which we've already basically seen, but what you have seen happen to this church in the last 15 years is about to happen to this nation on a physical level. And I don't think it's too far off. There will be people who get themselves together and talk and say, let's cut them off from being a people, a nation. The peoples of Israel today are hated, basically, by the whole world. Jealousy creates hatred. Arrogance creates hatred toward those being arrogant. The United States has become the hammer of the whole earth in the last 10, 20, 30 years. And the earth gets tired of being hammered on and being told, you shall be democratic, whether you like it or not. There is a great deal of resentment building up against us. They don't like our power. They don't like the fact that we have the wealth. They don't like us coming over in our shorts and cameras and taking pictures of the funny little natives and saying, why don't you do things like we do it at home? They can't. And when we rub their noses in it, they resent it. And God says they are going to get together and say, come, let us cut them off from being a nation. So I believe that you children in this room and you young people, some of you, will very likely grow up in the millennium. But I think you also need a realistic view of what is going to happen in this country before that can ever come. Well, they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against you. We've heard conspiracy theories for years and years. There is a conspiracy. There is a confederacy. There is. Right now, as we sit here in the peace and safety of this park, there are people flying all over this earth, back and forth, setting up what God is talking about here. There are secret meetings going on all over the place among the Gentile countries who want to destroy Israel. And there are traitors in Israel itself who have joined the globalist, new world order, one world government um, movement who are right now conspiring to join with those people and destroy Israel. Talks about a wicked prince in Isaiah, a wicked ruler or leader who will betray We used to poo-poo at the idea of a great conspiracy. Not anymore. It's there. It's here. <clears throat> Any of you who are alert have seen the signs of it in our country. You've seen military drills where they're going in and practicing to take over our cities. We saw them right there in Charlotte. They didn't announce it. They didn't talk about it. They just did it one night. Boy, were the airwaves full the next morning on both TV and radio because they scared a lot of people with helicopters coming in, shooting blanks. I mean the noise of uh, military rounds going off. We're right there in that city, and we were there. 
This isn't something I heard about out in Carmel or heard about in San Diego or some of the other places it's occurred. We were there, and we saw the hubbub that occurred. I have personally seen the black helicopters with no markings on them whatsoever run by UN troops. We have German military bases right here in our own country. They have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against you. The tabernacles of Edom, Esau was predicted to always be an enemy of Israel. Their whole desire and purpose in life is to destroy Jacob. They have never gotten over that, and they are just as angry today as the original Esau himself was. There weren't many blessings left for Esau, but he said... You will be in the fat places of the earth and the places where the money is controlled. Those aren't real Jews there in many cases. They are truly Edomites. He lists the Edomite here first as one of our major enemies. Tie it with Obadiah. The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarenes, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. He names some of the Arabs here. And the Arabs are set upon destroying every Jew on the face of the earth. That's part of Israel. So they want in on it. Asher also is joined with them. They've helped the children of Lot. Verse 12, who said, Let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. So they are coming against the house of Israel and Jacob, the houses of God, the tribes of God, the church as well. But we're not emphasizing that at the moment. The countries of this world are set in their minds to destroy the United States, Canada, Australia, Britain, and the other nations of Israel and northwestern Europe. That is the plot and the controversy that is going on. Let's go to Isaiah 8. Another warning. God is speaking to the nations. Verse 9, Associate yourselves, O you people, and you shall be broken in pieces. They are forming this confederacy, and they will be used. But then God says, I'll take care of you. And give ear, all of you far countries. See, it's talking about the countries around the world. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Emphasized. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. We can take that as a people, as a church, but we can also take it as a nation. But that isn't the end of the story. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Say you not a confederacy. Now it was said in the church for a long time, Say you not a conspiracy. Say not a confederacy. There's no conspiracy out there. But he said, don't listen to these people that say, say you not, there is a confederacy. There is one. To all that to whom this people shall say a confederacy, neither fear you their fear, nor be afraid. And I think he's talking more to the church here. Because he says, sanctify or set us apart the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. 
But in a larger sense, God is warning this nation, don't talk about a confederacy, don't worry about a confederacy, because if you'll fear me and dread me, the confederacy can't hurt you. But the problem is, is people will not listen to God. They will not fear God. They will not take his advice here. And therefore, that confederacy is going to come against and destroy us. But if we would do as he says here, verse 14, and he shall be for a sanctuary, speaking of God, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. They won't listen. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. Those who will follow God. The church is all that will. So he says the rest of these people are going to be taken and snared and destroyed. But seal the law with my people. And I will wait upon the Lord that hides his face from the house of Jacob. And I will look for him. So God is going to hide his face from this nation. Behold, I and the children with whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwells in Mount Zion. So Isaiah says he is a prophet that will listen and that God will protect him and that he will be for signs and wonders. And of course that's a prophecy for today. He's speaking of his people, those who will listen to him. But most simply will not. There's a place, I think it's in Jeremiah, it says don't even pray for this people. They're not going to listen. They're not going to repent. Do you see signs of repentance around you in the cities that you live in? Do you see signs of the repentance of this nation uh, among the politicians? Do you see signs of repentance in Hollywood? Do you see signs of repentance of those who take from the poor and give to the rich in the stock market and in the financial exchanges of this nation? Do you see repentance in our enemies? Or do they keep clamoring against us? No, God is going to destroy. Verse 9, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and tribes of Israel, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. Everything is written, of course, from the standpoint of where Israel was then, and we have to realize Israel has moved. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. Now this is going to ultimately happen to this nation. Right now it's just happening to the church. We were walking in darkness, and we've seen a great light. We've seen that Jesus Christ is going to save us and a remnant of Israel. But most have not seen that light. It hasn't shined upon them yet. You've multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before you according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you've broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warriors with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Now God is going to put down the confederacy. 
once it destroys our country. And he says, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Right now there's very little peace in the world. Look at the situation that we have. The Middle East is about to explode into a powder keg of war. It's just nip and tuck day by day whether that is going to happen and when it is going to happen. The financial markets in the USA, yesterday someone told me the Dow uh, dipped almost 500 below or dropped almost 500 points yesterday. And it came back up. I turned the news on last night. I think it closed down somewhere around nearly 100, which, you know, as high as it is now, it can fluctuate that. But I'll bet you were a, there were a bunch of scared people about the time it got down toward dipping 500 yesterday because they don't know where it's going to stop. And they sit there and they watch that thing and their money's going down, 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 down. There is no stability, as Judd was talking about. It's just not there. And Zephaniah tells us there is going to come a great crashing of the financial markets in this country. I have been reading reports before the feast that Bill Clinton and the politicians and the economies, economists are scared half to death right now because of the volatility of the economic whole world economic situation. We had the, the Asian financial crisis, and it appeared to be sort of coming out of it, but now they're fear, afraid it's going back in. And the euro keeps just dipping and dipping and dipping. That euro, which Europe has set its, uh, all its hopes on, of a unified uh, world power. Then they tried to prop it up so that it wouldn't crash, maybe. And people found out about the fact that they were going to prop it up. They leaked it out to whoever they wanted to know, I think. <clears throat> they say the leaks were in Europe, not in America now. So I don't know what all happened. And you never know by what's said on the news what actually happened. But somebody was tipped off. So they went in and bought a whole bunch of euros while it was down. And then the G7 or whoever all put the money in the pot, including the United States, to salvage the thing threw their money in, and it went up a few cents. Well, all these people then suddenly started taking their profits, and it went right back down where it had been, and it's still just wallowing there weekly. And there is a weekly wallowing there. I don't mean by the week. I mean it's weak. <laughs> Our English language is going to replace two. We'll have a pure language. But that's a very volatile situation. What will it take for the euro to fail and all the people are suddenly in confusion and somebody says, we need a Deutschmark back, perhaps? I don't know how this thing's all going to shape up. But you are living in a very, very dangerous world right now. I heard a report just before I got here that there was a great oil swindle that Bill Clinton had promised $140 billion dollars to Yasser Arafat, to Barack, and to others to make a peace agreement. He is so desperate for a legacy, and he wants to make peace in the Middle East it. I don't know whether that report is true or not, but I saw something yesterday which indicates that it possibly is. And that was on the news everybody sees on CNN last night. The story was that he had promised those people up to $140 billion 
under the table without having to go through Congress to approve it by what? Causing the oil prices to be raised and the excess profits that came from higher oil prices being paid to those people apart from Congress so that they would sit down and sign a peace treaty. Now, that may or not be true, but last night, they have started now on the news, it said that they have now started an investigation that hundreds of millions of gallons of fuel have been shipped out of the Middle West in the last few weeks, shipped overseas in order to what? Raise the prices of fuel in this country. They're checking with U.S. Customs right now, and they've uncovered evidence that they shipped hundreds of millions of gallons out of this country. At the same time, the politicians are saying, oh, we have this crisis and we'll try to get you oil this winter, but the price is going to be much higher. At the same time, they're shipping it out by the hundreds of millions of gallons. I don't know where this investigation will go, but uh, they've got Congress nervous now about it. And it was on CNN. It wasn't on some backdoor Internet report. The other one about the paying off the Arabs and the Israelites was kind of an Internet backdoor report. But what is now hitting the news seems to substantiate what may have occurred. You think we don't have traitors in this country who are trying to destroy us? Yes, we have winter coming on. Yes, we needed those hundreds of millions of gallons of fuel. Yes, we needed it at a normal price. But things in this world are being manipulated by crooked people. I don't know who all they are. I hear this, I hear that, I hear something else. So let's not quote sources particularly here. I, I don't know what's true and what's not, but I do know from God's own word, from his own mouth, there will be a confederacy of peoples seeking to destroy us. And that there are, according to Isaiah 7 and 8, some deals going on from, from Isaiah 7 within Israel. And it talks about Ephraim being broken in verse 8 of chapter 7. It says, if you will not believe in verse 9, surely you shall not be established, or in my margin it says it is because you are not stable. You won't believe the things that God has written here. I don't know exactly what this means, but I know Isaiah is a nation, or, or is a book that is written to an end-time nation. And he's talking about a conspiracy here. He names a bunch of names that today don't seem to make too much sense to us, Syria and this one and that one, and, and he puts it together with Ephraim, and there's a conspiracy there. And it says Ephraim will be broken. Exactly how this will work out, we won't get into the details of or try to figure out. But what I'm saying is God tells us in his word our nations are going to be destroyed, that there are conspiracies going on, that there are evil men who are plotting against us, and if we don't believe it, we're not stable. If we don't believe it, we're not accepting God's word. Now, what form will it take? I don't know. I keep looking at the UN, and it's basically been a toothless tiger for a long time, but maybe it will be given power or some 
combination of the UN and this New World Order people behind the scenes. Who they finally hand the money to and say, go do it, I don't know. Or will it be something that is centered in Europe with Germany at the head? Or is the Assyrian only a type of the end-time confederacy that will occur? I don't know how it will work out, but I keep watching the news to see who seems to take prominence and what's weak and what becomes strong. But I do know it's going to happen. And I think that our young people need to understand that the world that we live in in the United States today that seems so strong, that seems so indestructible, which you've grown up with plenty and prosperity, and most people in this room have never seen drought and famine and crash of the stock market. Some of you old heads saw and experienced the 20s and 30s. And that wasn't anything compared to what is about to happen. Not anything compared to what is about to happen. You need to understand this. You are not the generation that is going to rule America, as you are being told by our politicians. Got to take care of these kids. They're going to rule America. No, they're not. The adults in this room are going to rule America. Under Jesus Christ as his bride, ruling with a rod of iron, what is left of Israel after this devastation occurs. Now, you may be living in the millennium if you live through, if you are not rebellious against your parents, if you do listen and you do obey and God sees fit to take you to a place of safety, you may live through what is about to happen to our country. And yes, you may live in the millennium. That was my hope as a kid, that all these horrible things would happen and that I would get to grow up in the millennium. But we didn't understand. There still was some time left. But things are different now. And I don't think there's a whole lot of time left. This whole world financial system is just teetering on collapse. We're right on the edge of war. There are people who always profit by war. And they want another war. And there are people now who are saying, in the, in the New World Order crowd, who are saying there are way too many people. It has even been suggested and applauded with a standing ovation that the Earth's population be reduced by 90% so that there would be more room for tigers and ants. And to worship Mother Earth. That's not God's way. Now, the Earth is going to be reduced in population that way and those people probably will be part and parcel with it, and God will let them go ahead and do what it is they want to do. But his idea was for men to be put on the earth and dress and keep it and be responsible for the animals. And that's the way it's going to be in the millennium. What has happened is that man has not dressed and kept it. He's not taken care of it. He's just about ruined and polluted it beyond salvation other than through Christ. And when he returns, he's going to set things right, and then man is going to accept his responsibility and rule over the earth with the proper dominion in the first place, as it should have been in the first place. 
yes, the, op- the population of the earth, I can tell you on the, based on the word of God, is going to be reduced like these people think that it should be. And you may be killed in it if you do not turn to the God of our fathers. I hate to bring that kind of news, but I think we all know it in our heart of hearts, that this nation cannot long exist. It is corrupt. God can't stand to look at America and Britain and Canada today. He says, if you want to show the bosom and the belly and the behind, I will show it. I will strip you absolutely naked. And what does America today want to do today? Hollywood wants to show us all those things and more. And they show us all they can possibly get away, away with without having mama or the mothers jump up and say, don't show this to my kids. We want to show all we've got. We want to be as bad as we can be. We have a sports hero. Wrote a book, Bad as I Want to Be. That is the attitude that permeates our society. He sold a lot of books, I guess, with his green and purple and yellow hair. It's sick. It's just sick. And yet people love it. They want the freedom. They want to do anything they want to do and be as bad as they want to be. Why can someone like that gain notoriety and popularity? Because everybody wants to be like that. They may not want green hair, but they want to do anything they can do. You're about to go back out into that world. How much of it will you absorb? Or how much will we retain the vision of what God can do in us and what he's about to do? Chapter 10, verse 5. O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is my indignation. I will send him against a hypocritical nation. We call ourselves a godly nation. When a bunch of us get killed and the Arabs blow a hole in our ship, then we make these little platitudes and we cry a little tear as we worry about the families of those who have died here. And it's sick and hypocritical. Because this nation could care less about God, except in a moment when we should invoke God to make a tear. I will send him against a hypocritical nation, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Howbeit he means not so, neither does his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. So this Assyrian that rises, whether it's Germany per se, or whether it's Germany with a confederacy of a lot of nations, or the Assyrian is only a type and it turns out to be under the umbrella of the UN or some form of the New World Order, I don't know. But God is going to give it power, whatever it turns out to be, to tread us in the mire of the streets. And they don't think their goal is bad. They don't think that's their desire. But it is. And God says it's going to happen. Chapter 10, verse 25. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and my anger in their destruction. And then he talks about 
several places, the Assyrian being punished for having done this to his people. It's the same thing Jonah faced. Jonah didn't want Assyria to repent because he already knew that God was going to use Assyria to destroy Israel. Because if they repent, then they'll survive and they'll destroy Israel. He didn't want to take the message. But we've got the same situation today, and I don't think that the Assyrian is going to repent. All right, let's, let's move past this now. I just wanted to preface comments about the millennium with the understanding that before that happens, there are some very grim and dire circumstances. And if you have any hope of living over into the millennium and the peace and the happiness and the prosperity, the safety that will be there then, you better pay attention to God now who is the only one that can save you from the confederacy that's coming. Let him be our dread and fear. And speaking to the church, we don't need to fear this thing. God has promised us if we will do what is right, he will save us out of it. So he is our dread and our fear, not them. He is the one we cry out to and for to save us and account us worthy. As far as the adults here who are baptized and converted, you'll be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, and you won't live in the millennium either, neither will I if I qualify. I'll be changed. Yeah, I'll live in the millennium, but I'll be ruling there, I hope, and helping to bring back the peace of God. That is our goal and our hope as converted people. You who are young may live into it in a physical way. Christ returns. We, we just read about how a child is born, to us, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. As Judd said, no more politicians. That'll be such a relief. No politicians. They're all going to basically be killed in this war that is coming. I could almost live in the world right now. You know, you start subtracting these things one at a time, how much better would our life be with no politicians or bureaucrats? You can't, it would be an unimaginable improvement if you had a peaceful government that wasn't always pulling money from here and jerking it from you to give to so-and-so to make a deal about such-and-such and and compromising on a law that could be good because so-and-so doesn't like it. It just goes on and on and on, and I can't stand to listen to them talk. No elections. With Christ in charge, no war will even be allowed. They will simply be caused to make peace. It says in Revelation, they'll all come up to keep the feast. I'm not Revelation, the book of Zechariah, they'll all come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it's so simple. If they don't come up to keep the feast, they get no rain. Now, the millennium is going to be a time when there's rain, and I mean, there's going to be crops growing everywhere. But if you decide you don't want to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, you get no rain. See how easy it is to control people with the right kind of controls? How many years will they go with no rain whatsoever before they decide, you know, I think the Feast of Tabernacles would be a wonderful place to be. We'll be in charge. You might be over Egypt. Who knows? Christ will say, Go out there and shut the rain off in Egypt. 
You know, just turn the spigot off. <laughs> and then you just kind of sit back and wait. After a while, Egypt will come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And when they get there, they'll say, we're here. Is it raining back home? Well, are you going to stay for the whole feast? <laughs> See, you going to come back next year? Yes, sir. I'll be a Jew. Can you imagine all these Arabs? It says it right there in the book of Zechariah. Everyone will take hold of the Jew and say, I'm a Jew. Maybe he'll say, see, look, I'm a Jew. Everybody will want to be a Jew. Everybody will want to be an Israelite then. And you can be thankful that you're an Israelite then. Right now, it's a pretty thankless job being an Israelite in the world today. But then it's going to change. My wife got some spider bites the other night up under her arm. Got big old welts under there. Spiders won't bite anymore. Wouldn't it be neat not to have spider bites? You know, we live in a country today where it's unimaginable almost. Our kids don't grow up for the most part worrying about whether they're going to be fed to a tiger tomorrow or a, uh, a lion tomorrow. We have precious few poisonous snakes, but there are continents on this earth today where there are just lots and lots of things that can and will kill you and often do. We have been blessed in Israel beyond our comprehension. When I went out to play as a boy, I didn't worry about whether, other than rattlesnakes, whether something was going to kill me that day or not out in the wilds. We could wander all over. But I've been in places in Africa where, for generations, it was just known that so many kids wouldn't grow up because they got snake bit or they got killed by lions or hyenas or whatever if they got away from protection. In Australia, they got all kinds of venomous things over there, and there's nothing out there clean to eat except what man has taken there, sheep and cattle. And that's part of Israel itself. The weather can kill you in a lot of places. We're in a fairly temperate area here. Yeah, some people do die of cold, but there are peoples living up in the north countries where it gets 40, 50, 60 below zero and stays for months. And those people barely survive, and some of them do get killed. And polar bears, just anything living on the ice is meat to them. They're not particular. Seals taste pretty good, but Eskimos aren't bad either. We've had it better than we can imagine. But all that will just go away. Their, their natures will change. Let's go to Isaiah 11. That's one we traditionally have read at the Feast of Tabernacles, and I think we probably ought to read it again. How this is going to happen. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow up of, out of his roots, ultimately a prophecy of Christ. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Wouldn't it be nice to have people who were wise in charge, who were understanding, who understood our plight, who cared about us? The Spirit of counsel, good counsel, 
Where do you go to find good counsel in our society today? If your body's hurting, you go to the doctors. Do you find good counsel there? Well, I think we ought to whack this out of you. Oh, wait a minute. This is me. <laughs> Somebody was telling me the other day, they split him open like they were field dressing him and uh, whacked a few things out and sewed a few things together. And then he got all infected, and they had to go back in there and field dress him again. <laughs> I mean, this is what they did to Braveheart, you know. Cut him apart from stem to stern. They keep doing these things. Is this really God's way? Wouldn't it be neat to just say, be healed? But it's hard to find good counsel, and they'll put you on Prozac and Nozac, and I don't know what all they got. Just because you can't get settled down or because you feel bad, they'll dope you up where you can't see, feel, or think. It's terrible what is happening in this country today and in this world. And if you fool around and get pregnant, oh, that's okay, honey. We'll just kill that thing. Millions of them. Now, is that good counsel? What about financial counsel? Want good financial counsel? You go to all these financial counselors out there. What do they do? They say, buy into our mutual fund and you'll be fixed for life. Fixed is neutering, isn't it? I, we fix dogs. <laughs> yeah, you'll be fixed all right. That, that market's going to crash, and those people are going to lose all that money. And they won't have any retirement left. It's going to all be gone. They're paying into those IRAs and paying into all these funds and everything, so they'll be comfortable for life. Sorry, it isn't going to happen says they'll build houses and won't live in them. They'll be taken away. They'll lay up for themselves treasures, and they'll throw all that gold and silver in the streets, Seth and I want. Let's say you have an argument with your neighbor. You go to get good counsel. Where do you go? You go to a lawyer. And what does the lawyer do? He sits down and says, well, now, I'm here to solve problems. I'm here to settle this dispute with you. And then he starts asking you questions because you went to him. They call him counsel, don't they? Counselor. And he finds out all about your side of the case and all he can about the other side of the case. And then he goes and talks to the lawyers on the other side and have lunch together and stir up all the trouble they can to keep you from solving that problem. Because the longer they keep it going and the more they can argue and hassle in court the more money they make. And they're not beyond that. We've got lots of lawyer jokes. You know why? They're based on truth. Every time I've been involved in any, closely with any lawsuit, I've seen the thing instead of settle down and get solved between people, I've seen it escalate and get worse and worse. Well, that fellow and his lawyer are not being fair with you. We need to do thus and such. And it'll only take me 43 hours of billing to do that. I'll work 20 hours on it, and I'll bill you for 43. We had a child custody case that we saw just escalate like that. And at the height of the situation, our trusted and loving family lawyer decided that he would take us to lunch. And he says, well, we have a break here in court. Let's go to lunch. You know what? 
I got a bill for lunch after it was over. Where are you going to find good counsel today? Well, then we're going to have good counsel. The spirit of counsel and might, the power to carry out that counsel. Right now you can seek counseling, but you might not get what you need. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Now this, I think, is referring not just to Christ, but it is also referring to the leadership God is going to give us here at the end, on a physical level, in the church. But it also applies to Christ, who is certainly a a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. The government we're going to have in the millennium is going to be true and right. And you'll never get cheated. You'll never get shorted. You'll never go away thinking there's no justice in the land. I I couldn't get a fair trial. I didn't get my day in court. I didn't get to say what I wanted to say. Have you seen how the lawyers do it? They'll put you on the stand and you try to explain what happened. Oh, no, that's not the question asked. Just answer yes or no. You can't explain the situation by saying yes and no. They're just jerking you around by the nose. For the most part, they won't let you talk. And you go away feeling, man, I got ripped off. And probably you did. He shall not judge that way. But with righteousness, verse 4, shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. The little guys, reprove here means argue. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and argue with equity for the meek. The little guy he will argue for. To be sure you get justice, opportunity, and equity. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Got some wicked still around? Gonna get destroyed. It just it won't pay at all to be wicked. Nobody will want to be wicked. They see what happens to the wicked. So everybody is going to be trying to give you the best deal possible, and it's not going to be, have I got a deal for you? They will be trying to give you good value. They will be trying to give you that silver standard that was talked about. They will want you to have a good deal. Because they know if they don't give you a good deal, somebody's going to come down on them a good deal. There's the English language again. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. See, these are the things that are going to be required and have to happen before you can actually have peace and prosperity and not have to worry about anything. And once someone comes who has that kind of attitude and approach and will make things work right, then you have even a change in the nature of the animals. Once a peaceful government is set up, by Jesus Christ on this earth. 
Then the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. We won't need bows and arrows because the wolf and the lamb will just love each other. You know, that, that nature is there to be drawn out if it's just handled right. People think dogs and cats hate each other, don't they? The dogs always chase cats. Our dog doesn't. He was raised with cats, and he loves cats. Our cat will come up. The dog's laying on the floor. Our cat will come up, and he'll start licking the dog. And the dog will lick the cat. And that saves them licking me. <laughs> they sleep together. They get back to back to warm each other. And once in a while he has to show he's a dog. So he'll chase the cat, you know, if he gets a chance for 10 feet. And then they stop and lick each other. But he has to show he's still a dog deep down inside somewhere. And our kids just moved in for a few weeks while they find jobs and houses, one of them from Kansas. And their dogs love cats. And our dogs love their cats, and their cats love our dogs, and our dogs love each other. Why? Because they like animals, and they've taught their animals that way from puppy and kittenhood. And we did the same thing. So I don't know that it's going to have to be so much a nature Change, although it will be, because we're talking about wild animals here, not domestic ones. But under the right conditions, even now, there can be peace. We're in a world that knows not the way of peace. But you and I here are learning the ways to peace. And even in the midst of all this destruction around us, we can have peace if we will do those things which create peace. And in a small system like our home site, we can have peace among the animals and dogs. Now, if Marla and I can learn to get along, <laughs> a lot of it's human problems, you know. Now, we, we pet the cats and dogs and each other, too. Don't get me wrong. We, we, we all love each other. But still in all, we're all still human, and we have to work at these things because peace doesn't come naturally. But Christ is going to come, and he's going to legislate peace, and he's going to do it in the right way. So even the wild, vicious animals will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. I've been to Kruger Park there in uh, South Africa, and I really they say you, have, you shouldn't get out of the car. They have rules against getting out of the car. You know what? For the most part, I didn't really want to get out of the car. Because there are things out there that will kill and eat you if you wander around in the park long enough. Their nature is, I mean, they're in a pen, more or less. I mean, it's several hundred mile long pen, but uh, you see things kill each other out there. You see things eat each other. We saw some, was it, was it, what was it, bush buck, I guess, were in a little pool of water. And there were hyenas laying all around it, just waiting. The bushbuck were afraid to come out. And the hyenas had time. And maybe they go into the pool and or the mud mud hole that was left, a little water left in there. They got hungry enough, they'd probably go in there after them. But they were already fed, so they were doing fine, just laying out there waiting. But you know, those bushbuck were pretty nervous. They kept looking. They'd look at this one, they'd look at that one, 
their lives were not really, really happy with those hyenas laying out there waiting to chew their rear ends up. And they're not particular. They'll just go ahead and start eating while you're still alive at the other end. not going to be that way anymore. One day you'll be able to go into that area. There won't need to be any fences. And you won't have to stay in the car for our cars. You can just wander around and you can sit on a lion as he lays there and pet his mane if you want to and scratch his ears. I didn't have the faith to try that yet. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. Wouldn't that be neat to see a bunch of bear cubs and, and calves and they're just kind of laying on each other in the sunshine? I'd love for my grandchildren to enjoy that. My kids are too old. They're going to have to account for themselves now. They're going to have to go to God and ask for mercy in this whole thing that's about to come. But maybe my grandkids can do this. And I think that we're at the generation now where that is likely to happen, very likely to happen. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox, you ever seen a, a carnivorous animal trying to eat grass? Cats and dogs do it sometimes when they try to, you know, they're kind of sick or something. They need some chlorophyll or whatever is in there. But their teeth just don't work right. And they, they kind of snap at it and chew at it, and it doesn't work. But I think God is going to change not only the nature, he's probably going to have to change their their tooth structure and everything. Because I'd hate to be a big carnivorous animal now, and all I could eat was grass with the, the tooth system that they presently have. You starve to death while you're trying to get one really good bite, I think. So he's going to give them teeth that will actually eat grass properly. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the dangerous snake. You know, your little baby that you're nursing on your breast, you're just laying right down there with the snakes. That doesn't sound too pleasant today, does it? It's the way it's going to be then. Snakes won't stink. Snakes won't eat mice. I guess snakes will eat grass. And they just love to curl up with your child and not hurt him at all. I had an uncle, great uncle, back in Arizona was out herding cattle and sheep, one or the other, I'm not sure which, probably not both, because in those days you didn't do that. You were a dead sheep man or you were a cattleman. I think they were basically cattlemen. But he was sleeping out, and he had a tarp pulled up over him, and he had it tucked in hoping the snakes wouldn't get him out on the desert at night. And come morning, it's time to get up, so he flipped the tarp back, and a rabid skunk grabbed him right here. And he was several hundred miles from El Paso and had to ride a horse there over several hundred miles of desert with his lip hanging loose and a rabid skunk bite. He had to ride all the way to El Paso, so I think in those days they stuck a bunch of needles in your stomach. And it was very, very painful treatment. That's a family story that's gone on now for several generations. No more stories like that. 
You have a pet skunk and sleep with him if you want to. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. No more will they say, know the Lord, brother. You won't have these Jehovah's Witnesses running around putting tracks on your cars and on your houses. Marla just missed some yesterday, three of them headed down that way, and their suit's going to convert her. She barely escaped by being in the car and passed them on the way out. I'd hate to be a Jehovah's Witness in a Mormon town, but <laughs> not much success ratio. But all that's going to be just be gone. I had one one time stuck his foot in my door. I mean, he was standing out there trying to talk to me through the door, and the door was open, and I began to let him know that I didn't want to talk, so he puts his foot in my door. And I said, if you want that foot, you had better move it. And right then I started slamming the door. I, I guess I should have said, if, if you want to shake the dust off that foot, you better preserve it. No more do we have to worry about this thing. There'll be no false gospel around. All the churches that we see around us today will be gone. No steeples on them. No stained glass windows. They'll be wiped out, gone. God calls Jerusalem today Sodom and Egypt. Now think about that a minute. That means that all those religious entities that are there, God calls spiritually Sodom and Egypt. That means the Catholics, that means the Protestants, it means the Jews, and it means the Arabs. There is absolutely no spiritual value in any of those. And they will be wiped out and gone. And the only thing that will be left will be the congregation of God. And the knowledge of God will cover the earth. And the congregation of God will cover the earth. Because even the Egyptians will be a part of God's people after they come to the Feast of Tabernacles, after they get thirsty. There is no peace to be had in the Middle East. Those people want to wipe Israel out. But when Christ gets done with them, they're going to be saying, I am a Jew. I am a Jew. I've been grafted in. I am a spiritual Jew. What a change in attitude. That's the world you'll live in then. There won't even be anybody that wants to be an Arab. There won't be anybody that wants to be a German. Those peoples will repent and be grafted in. And it says, Israel, Assyria, and Egypt shall be brothers, one-third, one-third, and one-third. Absolute peace and harmony is loving brothers. Can you imagine it? Look at the world today, watch the news, can't imagine it. The news is going to change considerably. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, a sign, a signal, to which shall the Gentiles seek. See what I just said about Zechariah? Right here it is. They'll all seek Christ. And his rest shall be glorious. 
Let's skip over to Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. And I'll skip down to verse 13. When you cry, let your companies deliver you, but the wind shall carry them all away. Vanity shall take them, but he that puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Those that trust God are going to inherit the land. Here's a good reason for trusting God. Everybody wants a home. Everybody wants land, it seems. God says, if you trust me, you'll inherit the land. It'll be given to you. Right now, do we own the land? We might own a little piece of it. You think you own it. Maybe you even have it paid for, free and clear. What happens if you don't pay your land taxes? That land that's your land gets taken away from you. They'll sell it on the steps of the courthouse. They won't fool around. They'll flat do it. I've known people to whom it's happened. This isn't your land yours as long as you give them so much money every year they'll let you keep it most of us don't own it anyway the bank owns my house said so you own a house well sure i own a house does mean do you own or do you rent i rent it from the bank <laughs> i don't own that house there's there's two people that own that house the bank and the government as long as i pay through the nose i get to live there if I finally do get it paid off, what does it cost me? Approximately three times what I paid for it. If I pay $100,000 for a house and I pay 8, 9, 10% interest for 30 years, I'll pay at least triple what that house I paid for. That's what usury does. And they've got it set up, so basically you will never own your home. If you cut it to a 15-year mortgage, you may only pay for it twice, <laughs> plus taxes every year. No more of that. He's just going to give you land, like they did when they came into the promised land before. They just gave this tribe this much and gave that tribe that much and gave that tribe that much. They didn't have to pay any taxes on it. They gave their tithe to God when they produced a crop and had an increase. They didn't give something they didn't have. I mean, they couldn't. You, you, right now, you can't live in a house unless you work or receiving retirement income or something to pay the taxes on it, even if you've got the mortgage paid off. But they owned that land. And the only time that God took something from them was if they produced something. If they didn't produce anything, I mean, there was always incentive. If they didn't produce anything, they didn't earn a living, and they finally had to sell their land in order to buy food. But even then, God's system is, after 50 years, if somebody was such a fool that they didn't plant a crop and harvest it and lost their land, 50 years later, that last same land was given back to their children in the year of Jubilee. Beautiful system. If your father was a fool doesn't mean you lose your inheritance. Right now, if your father's a fool, you lose it all. And if your father's not a fool, the lawyers will probably get it in probate anyway. 
unless you go through all kinds of legal maneuvers to figure out a way to bypass probate by trusts and various things in order to try to hang on to it. Very complicated system. But not then. You'll inherit the land and possess the land. God says he will not always be angry. He tells us in Isaiah 58, if we'll obey him, that we'll be the repairer of the breach in verse 12, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Don't we feel frustrated at times with the way things are and we want to change it, but we're, we're just powerless? Isn't it futile to look at these politicians right now and say, well, now, which one should I vote for if you're out here in the world? I have never voted in my life and never will. But now, which one of these guys is going to do the things that I need done and repair the breaches and solve my problems for me? And they all say they can and will. And none of them can and none of them will, and they won't keep the promise they made. You know that ahead of time. How futile it must be out in the world to go and vote. And a lot of people just have given it up. They won't even go vote. It's smaller all the time, the people that are willing to go vote. Because they know it won't do one lick of good. But he says, we will have power then. We'll be the repairers and healers of the breaches. All the holes that are in society, all the problems that are there, we can just simply solve. What a day to look forward to. Look at 58. Let's see. 9 to 12, I love this. Then shall you call, and the Lord shall answer. Even we as Christians sometimes cry out to God, and it seems like we can't get much of an answer. But once this thing turns around, and especially once Christ is here, there will be answers, all kinds of answers. You shall cry, and he shall say, here I am, right on the spot, right there. If you take away from you the midst, of, the, the midst of you the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, pointing at other people's problems and faults and what they've done to you, none of this negativism, none of this gossip that goes around now, they'll all be gone. Everyone will be, speak peace, and they will actually do what Paul said. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are pure, these think on and speak and do. So it's not just going to be wolves and calves and lambs lying down together. It's going to be people who've learned the way to get along. They won't say negative things about each other. There'll be no bitterness, no negativity. Oh, well, you know, you've got to take so-and-so with a shake or a salt. No, everyone's going to be doing what's right, peaceful. Chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall rise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. This may even be talking about the first resurrection here. Arise, shine. And then the Gentiles will turn and come to you. There will be great darkness over the earth after all this destruction that we talked about a little earlier. And we'll rise and shine. 
and will come back with Christ. And then all the Gentiles will say, wow, and they'll come to us. Lift up your eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together. They, they come to you. Your son shall come from far, and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and flow together, and your heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted to you. The forces of the Gentiles shall come to you. All these people that hate Israel today, that hate the United States today, are going to start coming to Israel because Christ will be there and the earth will be, start to be blessed because of him, but Israel's going to be blessed first. So be part of Israel if you can be. If you're not part of Israel, get grafted into Israel. That's where you want to be. Then all these Gentiles are going to say, here I am, graft me. Instead of a draft uh, thing for the military, it'll be a, a graft program. Graft us in. Make us part. That's, that, to me, sounds exciting. I've traveled here and there in, in the world, off and on all my life, different places, more recently, more, and that isn't the way it is now. You don't necessarily want to let people know you're an American. You want to try to look as uh, un-American as you can. You want to try to look like the people around you, wherever you go, because they don't like Americans. I wonder why. We're arrogant. We're selfish. We push our views on them. Well, then, we're going to have the right views. We'll be one with Christ, and he will be here, and he will direct things. And this is going to be such a turnaround. They will come to us. Verse 11. Therefore your gates shall he... Be open continually. They shall not be shut by day nor night. You worry about your children now when they go outside, don't you, in the cities? You worry about all kinds of problems and perverts and child molesters and uh, whatever kind of people there are around. It says, then your gates will be open day and night. Your houses will be open day and night. You don't have to worry. The weather will be good, so you don't have to worry about shutting the door or the window. There won't be anything that can come in that will bite you or crawl in your bed and, and uh, sting you. There won't be anything out there that's bad. You can leave your door open. The, the locksmiths are just going to be out of business. You won't need a key for a car if you have a car because nobody's going to steal it. And your gates will be open continually. Now, there is a real... Um, picture of peace. We won't have to, won't need military, won't need guards, won't need policemen, won't need anything because everybody's doing what's right. Your kids are absolutely safe wherever they go. No, no human will hurt them. No animal will hurt them. There won't be anything to run over them. I can't even imagine this. Can you? Place of, you can lay down at night in absolute peace, knowing nothing is going to happen to you. You're not even going to have a heart attack and die because there's healing. And you'll be able to get up in the morning because your hip and your leg aren't bad. 
You feel good. Now, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your grandkids because you'll be spirit and you don't even have to sleep. It's even better for those who are spirit then. Won't have to sleep, never get tired, never feel bad, never feel hungry, just always doing well. How are you? Will not even be asked. Everyone knows how you are. There's some people you have to, you, I'm afraid to ask how you are. You got an hour? Ask me how I am. <laughs> I've seen people, they won't shut up. You ask, boy, that's, you, you learn after a while. Don't ask so-and-so how are you. Well, won't need to say that. Everybody's doing fine, thank you. Your gates will be open continually. They shall not be shut by day nor night, that men may bring to you the forces, the power, the wealth of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. Now, not only for safety here, but the actual context is you keep your door open because everybody's going to be bringing you the wealth of the Gentiles. Keep your door open. We're bringing you a load of silver and gold in tomorrow. Oh, yeah? Oh, good. I'll leave the door open for you. You know, Motel 6 may leave the light on for you. I'll leave the door open. I'm going to go to bed, and I'll expect to see a treasure chest full of gold and silver from China tomorrow. Okay. Done. They will bring the wealth to Israel, to your grandkids. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. If they don't fulfill their promise and bring that chest of gold in tonight, they will utterly perish. Think they're going to bring it? Guaranteed. They will have seen somebody perish who didn't deliver. Our kids will be quite wealthy. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the fir tree, the pine tree, the box elder, together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. It just goes on and on. The sons also of them that afflicted you shall come bending to you, and all they that despise you shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet. And, then, and they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel, whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through you, I will make you an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Can you imagine never being hated again? You remember when you were a kid and somebody at school hated you? I think we all got hated at some time or another. Somebody despised us. I remember one poor fellow I hated. Well, I didn't really hate him as much as I just enjoyed tormenting him. I was a torment to that poor child. I don't know. I was generally friendly with everybody as a kid. But that one guy, I don't, I don't even remember how we got crossways, but it was about in the third grade, and we didn't, we didn't get along at all. I don't remember his name. It was James. As soon as the recess bell would ring, everybody would think, oh, we get recess. We get to go play. And poor James sat by the door. He knew that as soon as he went out of that door, I would be after him. And I would chase him and chase him until I caught him. 
And when I caught him, I would get him down on the ground, and I would hold his hands down and sit on his stomach, and I would tap his chest like this until the bell rang at the end of recess. I'm somewhat converted since then. I have no idea why. It's the only one I ever did that with. But for some reason, he and I got that way. He'd have done it to me if he could have done it. I was just a little bigger than him at that time. But hatred is not fun to live with. There was a bully at school who used to whoop up on me, too. What goes around comes around. He would always come up and hit me on the arm. And then he'd thump me on the head. And he was bigger than I was. And we went through a lot of this, didn't we, as we grew up? And we watched our kids go through that. Now we're watching our grandkids go through that. And not only that, but the society's getting worse and worse. And now instead of just coming up and hitting you on the shoulder, thumping you, they might come in and shoot you. It's getting more and more dangerous out there. But look what we have to look forward to. They'll come and bow before us, those that have hated us and despised. No more hatred. I can't imagine that, where nobody despises or hates anyone anymore. Sixty-one. The Spirit of the Eternal God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me, Isaiah speaking, to preach good tidings to the meek. The meek will inherit the earth, Christ said, one of the first things he said in the Sermon on the Mount. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, so many people are just downcast and brokenhearted. And things, remember how you had this shining dream when you were 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, of the most wonderful mate you were going to have and the house you dreamed of and the wonderful job you would have and how things would go well in your life and how you'd have a new car and all the things that perhaps you dreamed about the so-called American dream. And now you look around and there's cancer with people you know and maybe you've had serious health problems yourself and you never got the house paid for and the job didn't work out and you've been doing a job you've hated most of your life. And most of those dreams just never worked out. And people become brokenhearted. God is going to cause the brokenhearted to be bound up and made happy. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, all the injustices, all the things that weren't fair, all the things that were done to us, all the people that cheated us. These are all going to be rectified. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. He's going to take care of this. With us who are candidates for the first resurrection, we're going to have everything, including the entire universe, at our behest. We'll own it all as God owns it all. He'll give it to us. We'll have absolute perfect health. We'll have absolutely perfect relationships. We'll have nothing but love in our hearts, and that's the way it'll be with those toward us. And our kids or grandkids left on the earth during that time, are not go they're going to have these dreams, and they'll all be fulfilled. They'll all be fulfilled. Everything you kids think about that you would like to have that's, that's good, you're going to have. 
to point to them that mourn in Zion, to give to them beauty for ashes, those dreams that have fallen into the ashes and been burned up in front of our eyes, will be turned into beauty. The oil of joy for mourning, so all the tears will be wiped away. No more mourning. Can you imagine a world where no one ever feels like crying? Unless it's tears of joy. The tears of mourning will be gone. I like the tears of joy. I like it when, when somebody sings a song up here or tells me something or preaches a sermon to me that makes me just want to cry with joy at the things that I know God is going to do. Now, that kind of tears are good. But no more tears of hurt. No more tears of shame. No more tears of repentance. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Instead of somebody coming and telling you you're a dirty jerk, they'll come and praise you. Nobody will be called a jerk anymore. There won't be any jerks around. The planting of the eternal, that he might be glorified. So God is going to make everything peaceful and beautiful to his glory. And they shall build the old wastes. Not just an urban renewal program, but a renewal of the whole earth, where everything is going to be restored to the way God wanted it. There'll be no more waste places. Isaiah 35 talks about the, the desert blooming as a rose. Some of you drove across country. You saw an awful lot of barren country out here in the West. God's going to add water and take away thorns, and it's just going to bloom as a rose. Those beautiful roses you gave my wife the other day are sitting there. They're just beautiful. She laid down last night beside him and said, Mmm, I smell my roses. This whole desert out here is going to be like those roses. Gorgeous. Growing everywhere. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities. The desolations of many generations, all the urban blight and past cities torn down and wreckage, all going to be stripped away and everything built bright and new and beautiful. And the plumbing will work and the lights will work and everything will work. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall you boast yourselves. For your shame, for all the sin, for all the repentance, for all the frustrations we have in this life, for your shame you shall have double meaning double blessing. And for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be to them. Not just temporary excitement, but everlasting joy. Can you imagine just being in a state of joy all the time? I have been for the most part through this whole feast. I've not been much downer. I've just been happy. Been full of joy and excitement and wanting to see you and wanting to spend time with you and uh, wishing I didn't have to go work on another sermon. <laughs> but just to enjoy being together is so wonderful. 
to visit with each other, to get to know one another. I just, there just hasn't been enough time to do all of that. And I understand the emotion of wanting another eight days. But my body is probably going to begin to drag here in about another 24 to 36 hours. And, and when it does come to an end, it will probably be a physical relief, although it's going to be sad to see all you disband and have to travel back to your homes and not us be together. But I pray this day he's talking about isn't too far off. That these joys will be fulfilled before long, both with us on a spiritual level in the church where it will be taken to safety and into a refuge from all these things that are about to wash over this whole earth. And our kids and our grandkids hopefully can come with us and they can get a little foretaste of the millennium when God begins to make a table in the wilderness for his church. And then they'll live right over into that and see all of what they see in a microcosm happening to the church happen to the whole earth where there will be peace and plenty and prosperity and double blessing and never again a tear and an eye because of frustration and hate. But they'll be able to stand and cry tears of joy that their dreams are fulfilled. That's the world that you and I, as adult Christians today, are called here to be preparing to initiate. All those things you wanted to do for your kids and grandkids that you were never able to do, you'll now be able to do for generation after generation of your progeny as they live through a world of peace and happiness and prosperity. Now, is it worth it? Is it worth it to work now, to repent now, to study now, to pray now, to prepare yourself, to become a peacemaker, to become humble, to become meek, to not be proudful and boastful, but to be the kind of people that have understanding and wisdom and love and care for other people on this earth so that we can be a part of Jesus Christ setting up that kingdom. He's coming back and all his saints with them and they'll ever be with him they're going to reign on the earth as kings and rulers and priests. And boy, do you think the hearts of the fathers and the children will be turned then? You bet they will, because they're going to see what you and I can give them. And they're going to be thankful to the bottoms of their hearts. We'll be able to give everything we ever wanted to give them and give it in abundance. To me, this is worth the effort right now. We've got some grim times coming. But we can be faithful in little things, and then God is going to give much that we can bless this whole world with, and they can lie down in peace and safety and have their doors open at night and not have to worry like you and I have to have faith today that God will take care of us because no one else is. And in that day, God will take care of everyone, and no one will worry. That's what this time that we've been here represents, is that kind of world and that kind of peace. So let's do our part now as the Feast of Tabernacles ends to make this dream a reality for people because you and I are the ones that are going to bring it to pass with our bridegroom who is coming to show us how.